Hello, this is uh, Michael Taylor here, uh, and this is the recording for the Shocks and Surprises Global Weekly Summary for the week ending the 8th of May. Right, let's get to it. Um, the week has seen um, bodies beginning to make forecasts for 2020, uh, all of which are unutterably awful. Um, but in addition to that, of course, that um, means that they have started to sketch out uh, the sort of recoveries that we can expect. And within those, uh, a lot of use has been made of this concept of economic scarring. Now, my view is if the post-COVID recoveries are going to be unacceptably sluggish, I don't think economic scarring is a useful explanation. If it's going to be sluggish, that's going to be because of policy failure. Now, what sort of recovery we eventually have, I think, is hostage to two factors. The first of which, obviously, is what happens to COVID. Is it going to be cured? Is it going to be treatable? Is it going to be contained? Is it going to recur? And the second factor, obviously, is this depth of scarring that these unprecedented supply and demand shocks are going to leave on our economies. Now, the first of these, i.e. the trajectory of COVID, is utterly unknown by epidemiologists and medical researchers, and a fortiori by economists. Um, we're offered this alphabet soup menu of various recovery scenarios, but to me, this really is a, a dip into occult or gnostic revelation rather than genuine forecasting. We simply don't know and cannot know. But about the second, about this idea of economic scarring, it is possible to start investigating, and uh, investigating sceptically, I think. Now, starting off, any such investigation immediately raises an important distinction between the recessions which we're used to and the sort of recessions we've currently got. Uh, recessions are... I think dramatic and, and painful changes in economic flows triggered and necessitated by underlying problems of stock. And recoveries take place precisely when those changes in flows have in one way or another been enough to liquidate the underlying stock problem. Uh, the, and the bigger the stock problem is at the beginning, the longer it is to, it takes to deal with them, uh, and the sharper and longer recession uh, it would take to deal with it. But what we've got at the moment is nothing like that. Today's economic coronary is not triggered by any stock problem. It's simply stoppages ordered in response to a new and out-of-control disease. Now, that stoppage itself obviously is generating some stock problems. Uh, we can expect that unemployment is going to be a problem, that financial deterioration is going to be a problem, public sector debt is going to be a problem. And uh, what sort of recovery ensues is going to depend on how bad those stock problems are, which in turn means we've got to start thinking about negative or positive feedback loops involved. And in the absence of genuinely stupid monetary or policy, monetary or fiscal policy mistakes, which of course you can't rule out, but just setting those aside for a moment, how bad those feedbacks are, will define the degree of scarring the shutdown leaves imprinted on the body economic. And when you look at 
what uh, official bodies are talking about when they talk about economic scarring, uh, you can put it down in a list. Um, Long-lasting fall in business confidence, uh, a sustained fall in business investment, long-lasting unemployment, and uh, a long-lasting fall in consumer confidence. Uh, when you list the, the, this thing out like that, it seems obvious that the principal concerns are collapses in business and consumer confidence, because it's really from that that falls in business investment and consequently um, un, uh, employment are likely to be generated. So, you know, we've got to concentrate on the impact of this recession, the long-lasting impact in this, of this stoppage on business confidence and uh, on consumer confidence. Those, it seems to me, are the two things we've got to grapple with. So let's turn first to business confidence. And at first glance, there's a pretty good story here. Uh, plenty of evidence of scar tissue on business behavior from previous recessions and financial crises in both the US and in Europe. Um, and the primary evidence of that is simply the slowdown in growth in capital stock that we've seen throughout the Western world. In the US, this is particularly marked um, capital stock growth, in fact, has never recovered to the 9% growth rate it saw prior to the 2000 recession. And indeed, it's never even recovered to the 6.2 growth rate uh, we saw before uh, the great financial crisis. The highest we've got since then, the US got, was up to 5.2% beginning of 2015. And immediately prior to this year's lockdown, it had fallen to 4.4%. Since 2000, the peak of capital growth, every peak has been lower than the last, every trough lower than the last. In the Eurozone, the situation is a little bit different over the last 15 years, um, in that the fall in capital stock growth after the GFC was longer and more extended in, in, than in the US. Uh, and so after peaking at 5.7% in 2008, growth slowed until basically it sank to zero by 2013. So that's uh, a good five years after. And scarcely, scarcely recovered until mid-2015. Now, granted, over the last couple of years, it, it's accelerated strongly. And uh, immediately prior to the lockdown, we were at 4.4%. Still, you know, there's a, that's a... That slowdown in, 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 in capital stock growth would seem to suggest um, that there's some economic scarring. Uh, and there's a similar story, I have to say, um, in the UK, where capital stock growth has never recovered to the 5.7% it was, it was showing in 2007. Uh, but... And this is where I think you've got to start thinking quite carefully. I don't think scar tissue from recessions is either a necessary or sufficient explanation for this waning of capital stock growth. Other factors I think you've got to think about, such as, you know, and they seem obvious to me, the unanticipated impact of monetary policy on choices between investment in financial assets and real assets, I between investment in fixed capital and uh, stock buybacks, and the impact of uh, globalization on where um, companies decide to put their investment.
These seem to be too obvious and too big to be ignored. However, whilst other factors remain in place, there remains potentially an additional and accompanying explanatory role for the impact that we've seen of previous recessions. Moreover, if business confidence surveys can take, contain, can find us, evidence of long-lasting damage to business confidence by recessions, I, 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 can't, I can't find it. Take a look at the OECD's monthly business confidence surveys, and since 1990, uh, we've had a basically a muted um, but relatively rapid fluctuations, but set against a very slight but sustained upward trend. And that applies not only to the OECD as a whole, but if you strip it out for the US, for the Eurozone, for the UK separately, they've all got business confidence since 1990 has been on basically an underlying smooth upward trend. Or actually not smooth, interrupted, but sustained upward trend. So this divergence between the surveys which show sustained improving confidence of the business sector and the actual slowdown in the growth of capital stock suggests that whatever's happening is not scarring from previous recessions, which is holding back investment spending. And that in itself, I think, is cheerful news because it suggests that if you improve policies by governments and central banks, that can help foster or at least stop discouraging investment in real assets. And it also raises uh, a pet peeve of mine, which um, I hope you'll forgive me for mentioning, and that's this, you know, it raises an obvious ontological issue. Look, scarring is an analogy we can all grasp immediately and intuitively, and this seduces us into thinking we know what we're talking about. But how, in fact, would we recognize economic scar tissue as something different from just the consequences of policy failure? The concept basically suffers from exactly the same sort of fundamental ontological problems which crop up all the time in economics. Uh, and, you know, to me, it, it, the ontological problems are the major problems in economics, and I wish academics would get to grips with them. However, enough about my little hobby horse. Let's go on to the second uh, claimed uh, scar tissue, and that's the damage done to consumer confidence. Now, the evidence that recessions inflict lasting damage on consumer confidence is actually pretty persuasive, particularly in the US. Uh, if you take a look at the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, which has got a very long track record, um, it suggests that major collapses of consumer confidence take a long time to reverse, indeed, if they ever are. This is a story from the 1990 to 91 recession, from the 2000 recession, and of course from the, um, the GFC. In each case, uh, during the previous three recessions, it's taken years for confidence levels to recover to pre-recession heights. And in fact, you know, consumer confidence in the US has never recovered to levels seen before the 2000 recession. And there are similar stories told in the Eurozone and the UK even though shocking collapses in current overall confidence are somewhat offset by pretty buoyant perceptions of household financial positions. However, and once again, here we get to uh, a crux, even if we can trace 
lasting impacts on consumer confidence as surveyed from recessions, it doesn't automatically follow that those surveys reveal the truth about what households are actually doing with their economic and financial behaviour. Now, the implication is very clear. Falling consumer confidence suggests rising reluctance of consumers to get buying or get borrowing, uh, which in turn depresses domestic demand and in turn uh, puts a cap on economic growth. So the corollary of what you would expect from that would be, as confidence falls, the saving rates rise. But that's not what's happened. In the US, at least, uh, that's, you know, we all know that's not what happened. In fact, the personal savings rate in the US peaked in 1974 and subsequently basically went into a declining trend, which really didn't reverse until, until 2008. Yes, since then, there was a bit of a turnaround, um, and the saving, but the savings rate has been essentially stable since then at around 7% until March, when obviously it, it spiked up there. So actual consumer behavior, as opposed to consumer confidence surveys, again, suggests we've got to be cautious about accepting as inevitable that economic scarring is going to have a lasting negative impact on either consumer or business behavior in terms of spending and investment that will make a lasting negative impact on the post-COVID recovery. Now, there's no doubt recessions do jolt consumers and business expectations and confidence in, in ways which take a long time and much experience to dissipate. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be accompanied by actual caution in economic or financial behavior. Consumers and businesses, what they tell surveyors, may not be a good guide to their actual behavior. I think this is all good news. Because you can, while well, you can see official economists kind of lining up economic scarring as being the culprit for likely sluggish growth um, after, after, after COVID comes, you know, in, in the, in the post-COVID recovery, I don't think that we should accept that as inevitable or indeed even as likely. I think we have to go back and say, okay, where are the stock issues? The new stock issues are likely to be unemployment. They're likely to be uh, um, more debt, public finance problem. Deal with those problems and put in place policies which deal with those problems effectively and well and actively. And don't start assuming that things are going to be sluggish just because we've had this shock. If the post COVID recovery is unacceptably sluggish, economic scarring will not be a useful explanation. Policy failure will be the explanation for any particularly sluggish post-COVID recovery. Thank you.